is a blue. You're listening to Three Valleys Radio. Welcome to our In Conversation program. Every week we talk to a sporting personality to find out just what makes them tick. From their early childhood, to their professional career, to their musical tastes. We cover it all. So sit back and enjoy as we talk to this week's special guest. Here on Three Valleys Radio. Good evening and welcome to In Conversation. And tonight's guest on the show is none other than National Hunt jockey Paige Fuller. Well, good afternoon, Paige. It's great to have you on the show. Um, you are only the second lady jockey that we've had on Three Valleys Radio, so there's a certain amount of kudos to that for a start. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Um, I suppose a bit better than yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've had a bad morning so far, but we'll worry about that later. But um, what I normally do with these interviews is, we, you know, we go back to basics and, and right back to basics. So when you were a little toddler, um, what was your sort of first involvement with a horse? Well, I was I was really lucky. I probably sort of had the dream childhood from that front because both my parents were horsey people, um, grew up hunting and everything. So, mm. you know, horses, it wasn't really an option, I suppose, not to not to like them but I did like them anyway so it was um it was it was a very lucky happy childhood on ponies I suppose and where did you live in your in your childhood always always sort of been in the Newbury area so so local to Lambourne so always sort of grown up with with racing just on the doorstep as well right so did you um did you participate in like pony clubs and stuff like that and, and start start your racing career that way yeah, that's exactly how it started, really. You know, pony club and hunted as well. So a few of us kids, when pony racing started up, you know, a few of us kids from from the hunt all mm. all started pony racing as soon as we could, really. So that was when I was, you know, I was able to start pony racing at the age of nine, which you know, I, I was really lucky to, to be able to do. Yeah, absolutely. And and when you when you went, did you go hunting at that age nine? Oh yeah, I was already hunting. I was I was hunting from from a from a small from pretty small. So yeah, um, I suppose that Need for Speed kind of came out of that. And as I say, like when we were all we were all racing each other out hunting anyway. And as soon as pony racing started up, we thought we'd make it a bit more official, I suppose. Yeah, but but I mean, you know, one thinks of hunting. I mean, you know, I live in a in a, a you know a, a rural area, um, and there's there's a, a Catterstock hunt around here. There's the Sevington hunt. Um, but you know, you, you see them going off on their horses, and my sister-in-law's. She used to work at Ron Hodges for many years, so I've, I've sort of, you know, before I got into radio, I've always been sort of connected to horses in some way or other. But I mean, you know, nine, ten-year-old. I mean, jumping fences and gates and stuff. I mean, that must have been a bit hairy, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was. Um, it was. 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 It was
Yeah, luckily our country around here, we're a bit more, we're a bit closer to London and we've got a few more main roads dividing up the hunt country, I think. I don't think the the hunting around here would set the pulse racing quite like it would in in your neck of the woods. Mm. Um, I remember, to be fair, I remember I actually went to school right down your way in Blamford. I went to a oh, yeah, school yeah. called... Um, called Hamford in Child Oakford yeah um and so I, I had a couple of days probably when I was 11 12 out with the Portman and that was just sort of different different gravy down down that way so yeah I sort of saw what proper hunting was like round us it's a bit tamer so Is that, it's yeah, all yeah. right for all right for children I suppose I mean, how how strong is it up around your way? Because I, I worked for a while. I worked for a guy that sold hydroponic grass machines, and that involved me going down to Exmoor and places like that, where it's very much stag hunting country as opposed to fox hunting. And I was I was staggered really at the you know when you look at it, and although I I abhor um, cruelty to animals, but but when you see how hunting has has um, you know, evolved, if you like, down in, in, in around Exmoor area. It, it, there are so many people involved in it and so many jobs at stake in that. So you, you begin to wonder, you know, you can understand why they fight so hard to keep it. On the other hand, I don't like to see the thought of a, a stag. I mean, there was a picture in the paper once where a, a stag had got onto the roof of a house because it was being chased so badly. Things like that, you know, but, but, it, but it is so much a part of the, the rural scene. Yeah, I think oh, we could we could open a can, big can of worms here, couldn't we? Because mm. it's sort of it's a bit of a slippery. It's quite it's quite a topical subject, isn't it? It's um, yeah. it's quite a slippery slope um, with that, really. Um, obviously, I, I haven't been stag hunting myself. I grew up fox hunting, mm. um, and and you're right, they are so crucial to you know the the, the job the jobs that it provides and everything the yeah. countryside yeah um um maintenance i suppose and and like look, i i don't know how true it is but we always grew up being told that if you caught a fox you know a hound a fox can outrun a hound and so naturally the hounds will only be able to catch either the stupid foxes or the or the sickly foxes and yeah. that's what we got brought up and, yeah. and it was most often true, you know. You didn't, you didn't catch every fox that that came up in front of the hounds. Obviously, I appreciate now no. you can't hunt them anyway. But you, you know, I spent a bit of time in London a few years ago, and you see the mangy, horrible, yeah, yeah, city foxes now, and 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 that's just, you know, it's 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 such a balance. And look, I appreciate why you know it is banned and mm. and whatever, but I don't necessarily. As I say, because I grew up being told that you know, and you saw a lot of healthy fox can easily run out, run a hound, you know. Yeah. So you are catching those those sickly ones, and I don't know. Again, it just goes on to the whole you know, wit, wit review that's coming up and all of this. That yeah, yeah, it, it's a really it's a really grey area, and yeah, and, no, you're, and you're I think right. It's it's a it's a it's a very um, it's a difficult conversation that's going to be had a lot throughout countryside. Yeah, no, More you're cities right. More grow up and that, the countryside is going to be a very difficult place and shooting and everything. Oh, it's just, as you say, it's a big kind of worms, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, bear in mind, I came from, I came from London. Um, in, I, I was 15 when I moved down here in 1962. 
Um, and the first thing I had was nothing but snow. But I mean, it, it came as a bit of a culture shock to me because obviously I'd lived in London and uh, to come down here, it was, it was totally different, you know. OK, time for a musical break now. And first up, we've got Heat Waves by The Glass Animals.
heat waves there and the glass animals. Didn't sound like Eric Burden to me. So Pony Club then. Talk to me about Pony Club. How did you get involved in it? What exactly is Pony Club for, for those of our listeners that don't understand exactly? I mean, you know, it, it's, it's obviously young people on ponies racing, but is there more to it than that? Yeah, there is definitely. Um, look, I suppose it's just, I suppose, again, it derives from hunting originally, doesn't it? You know, you kind of had the, the, the hunt pony clubs and and having not done it for a while, I'm probably not strictly accurate. <laughs> but it's basically, um, it, it, it creates opportunities for people to be able to access training, I suppose, for riding horses. You know, you join yeah. a local pony club and they put on rallies. And for a lot of people, I suppose it's an affordable way of getting lessons because you'll go to clinics and they're basically clinics where you can turn up with your ponies and whether you want to try Jim Carner or... Um, dressage or anything like that it's a great way of, of getting people to expand their their knowledge and you know in the summer you've got pony club camp where you know when you're little you obviously go in daily but when you're older you go and stay for a week with your pony mm. at pony club camp do all your grooming all your clean tack cleaning you earn badges and so i suppose it's almost like scouts but yeah for, yeah <laughs> but for ponies you know and it's and it's a really it's it's really key i suppose to it, i learned so much through pony club and i say i'm very lucky that i i grew up um doing it because you do learn the basics basically and and you know if you have a pony club race which i presume you do at some stage during during the um you know the membership um i mean is it just sort of you know is it is it five furlongs seven furlongs or is it a jumping race how does that work so, so for pony racing, I, I don't know exactly um, the details now, but when I when I was pony racing, there there was a, there was point to point pony racing. So just pony races put on by the local point to points, which yeah. obviously the amateur is the amateur racing. Um, and and was that over fences? No, that was that was just on the flat, and and yeah. they sort of had varying distances, and they wouldn't be very long. You know, we're talking sort of five six seven furlongs a mile yeah. um on the flat um and you'd be divided into two heights and it was first one three eight centimeters and one four eight centimeters and under yeah. so you literally had the two sections now i know that there are a lot more options for all for all your young listeners that want to give it a go i think yeah. um uh, the, uh lucy snowden jamie's jamie's wife um i think was saying that their daughter might be doing one that's for four furlongs for people that have never ridden in a pony race before so there are lots of categories now which i wouldn't be i I wouldn't i wouldn't know how many categories there are but it's definitely worthwhile for anyone listening who who wants to get into it yeah sort of trying to find out um either through the pony club or the local points point any any sort of categories that that might be a bit more open for, for what we call fluffy ponies which are probably really uh normal pony club ponies not like some of these whizzy some some in the 14 in the one four eight centimeters and under category of proper full thoroughbreds that just weren't tall enough to be a yeah big enough to be a, a proper thoroughbred but it's all on the flat and um it's just really good fun and a great way of getting into it so there, there you are at age 10, 11, whatever. Um, how many winners did you get in your, your pony club days? Absolutely none. Oh, <laughs> okay. 
Well, it, <laughs> Not a single one. <laughs> it must have left uh, an indelible um, um, thoughts on your on your mind, though, because you know here you are today, uh, one of the country's leading um, female jump jockeys. <laughs> yeah it's it's funny how, how it sort of worked out yeah I, you know we, we, we I just had what we called fluffy ponies so I, I wasn't able to take it as seriously I suppose as some others my ponies just weren't fast enough and that was the bottom line I suppose but yeah as soon as as soon as I was able to go into points pointing at 16 yeah. um I was straight um I was straight on the proper racehorse and they were a bit faster so <laughs> and how many um you know how for example point to points you know it's, it's a does it go right through the summer or, or the winter or what I'm not that familiar with point to points I know they're around but I mean you know in terms of uh, you know regularity do you get sort of a season of point to points presumably you do yeah yeah you do um normally the facilities are a lot sort of they're a lot more agricultural than than um under rules so uh, quite often there'll just be a field which they probably have sheep or something grazing on mm. most of the time of the year and they pull out some point to point fence every now and again and put a marquee and they go there's a race course which yeah. is quite fun actually and and the season runs i believe it either starts uh, like first week of November or the last week of October now I can't remember um, and runs all the way through to uh, they always have the season finale at Umberley in Devon um, I think it's I think it's at, like the first weekend of June or something so the right. ground gets pretty quick by then yeah, um, yeah so obviously again because it's agricultural watering system some tracks do have watering systems available but it just costs so much yeah um yeah. That that's why it can't really run through the summer. So okay, next question: How many did you win? Points, point. Yeah. Uh, I think I probably had about, I think it was something like twenty-five or twenty-eight points, point winners before I turned professional. Ah, oh, well, now we're talking, aren't we? Twenty-eight wins. That's yeah. all right. So you know, you must have been enjoying yeah. it and doing something right. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It was it was a lot more fun. I actually we um, we had a very good. Point, um, X racehorse gifted to mum and dad by a friend of theirs, which um, Di Williams, who it had fallen down on the roads and skinned its knees. Yeah. Um, and the owners just wanted rid; they weren't interested in the rehab and that. So he was like, "Look, give me twenty four hours; I'll find someone for it." Yeah. And so they gifted it to us, and um, it was you know it, it wasn't guaranteed to come back sound, but he did, and he was one hundred and twenty eight raced under rules. So for me to have that as my first pointer was fantastic and he actually won I won my first point point on him as well and sadly he broke down after his next run but you know as you were saying from the pony racing where I couldn't win anything my first ride in the points point was a winner so I had the bug then pretty pretty firmly and how many of the 28 or so winners um how many were on him just the one oh just the one sorry yeah yeah just because he he broke down the start afterwards i think he won he won a couple of races for mum and dad the season beforehand yeah. um but then i wasn't old enough so yeah i just won the one on him and so we uh so yeah we got another mare who was lovely she was called tomorrow king um and i just won one race on her it was quite steady but you know we were lucky that we could have the horses at home and eventually like we started building up the string a bit um with some nice maidens and that we had in points points and yeah, you know, they just kept me busy and taught me loads and 
Yeah. And I suppose I was still at school, so I couldn't, you know, throw myself into it fully quite at that point. <laughs> More music now, and this next one's called Naive, and it's by The Kooks. Obviously, you know, you've got a taste of it now. You've got a taste of winning uh, 28 times or whatever. Uh, you know, is it is it a situation where where you had all your own horses or did you ride for other people as well? To start with, it was mostly... I had a couple of rides for other people, but to start with, 
you know, having horse at home is a really big leg up, really, for mm. me. Um, we didn't. We were quite lucky with the horses we bought. We didn't spend lots of money really on them, um, and got very lucky. And I suppose that's probably actually looking back on my career. I think I, I've had a lot of luck on my side throughout my career, really. Yeah. Um, and I did, you know, I did, I did have in the end quite a few more winners for other people. And um, I actually stayed amateur for a long time. Um, I rode a lot as an amateur under rules too. Um, rode a bit on there's Arab racing as well. I rode yeah. the Arab racehorses too and rode a few winners on them. So it just didn't mix and matched. And, and when I left school, I still didn't think I was going to be a jockey, but just that I just sort of left school and I, I took a gap year out and was meant to go to uni and I just messed about all through my gap year riding out for trainers. I went over to France and yeah. worked for a trainer over there. And, you know, it was just, it was just really good fun. And, and I just sort of, fell into it I suppose I hadn't really even though I loved my race riding and everything it certainly wasn't something that I saw as a as a career path really it just happened which has been the best bit about it I suppose so how um how long have you been professional now then so I I think I've been professional about three and a half years now yeah yeah um so I I probably wrote too long as an amateur to be honest again it was probably a confidence thing um, yeah. more than anything else um, I wish I turned a bit sooner I probably would have made a bit more money but <laughs> you know hindsight's a great thing isn't it uh, <laughs> but I mean you know when you can make comparisons with say for example with Holly Doyle was, you know, I mean she's been so successful but she gets sort of ride after ride after ride you don't have that luxury do you I mean how many how many rides do you get on average sort of thing a week that, that completely depends I mean you're actually this has been quite a quiet the last two weeks have been quite quiet for me um you know i probably have sort of three rides the last couple of weeks which is which is quiet for me mm. um uh the week before i was a lot busier you know but i mean i'd like to i try to aim to have uh i don't know it'd be nice this is a quiet time of year but on on average really i'd like to aim per season to have 250 rides really yeah um, yeah so however that divvies out <clears throat> great but you know some months i could have 40 50 rides um some months i might only have 20 so it, it it's up and down but that just depends on the odds you're riding for as well and um what the weather does which this year the weather hasn't really got in the way um but yeah what what the odds are doing and and yeah. what horses are running so, sort of going going forward in your career, I mean, how how many uh, how many top trainers, for example, have you got that, that use you? I mean, obviously, I know jo- Jamie does, but have, have you got you've obviously got a few more than that, surely? Yeah, I, I, I still, I, I've always had my career really riding for probably smaller trainers more than bigger trainers. They 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 would be very supportive of me, and I've ridden I've ridden winners for them. You know, it's difficult because as the sort of I, I probably could have tried harder to get into bigger yards but there are always more jockeys in there so there's more pieces of the pie to fight over aren't there yeah you know, quite less yeah. pieces of the pie to fight over um so it's worked quite well for myself um building up that relationship with Jamie who might not have loads of horses but they do win races so mm. having someone like Jamie supporting me is great that I can 
you know, have my consistency in which days I go in there and ride out and work, ride work and school for him. Um, and Gavin obviously rides first for Jamie, but it seems to work quite well, me sort of slotting in a second jockey there. So whilst it's not restrictive as such, obviously, you know, it's, it works well for me going into some smaller yards to kind of get the bread and butter rides, I suppose, as you call them. And, and they're the people that um, you hopefully ride winners for and they're a bit more flexible as well. And, you know, you can put the effort in there and and get a real relationship going. Like, you know, this summer, there's a, a lovely um, trainer that I was riding for called Dave Weston and his partner, Altana. And um, I rode six winners for them. They only got four horses. And you mm. put in the effort with, with people like that as well and, and they get winners. But trying to get six winners, out, if I went into somewhere like, I don't know, you know, another big yard, mm. trying to get six winners out of there might be quite difficult yeah. anyway. So it's... It, it, there are so many ways to skin a cat aren't there and that's just sort of how my career's progressed I suppose and it seems to work well at the moment and you know we're always always changing and learning but yeah it's sort of main, mainly the sort of slightly sort of medium small size trainers that I've just ended up yeah. kind of riding for and and you know financially is it enough to give you a good living yeah 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 definitely yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, um, it's it's good, and obviously, you know, for for us, getting a good sponsor and that helps. Yeah. Um, obviously, that those sorts of factors in. Yeah. So, I suppose the more winners and the more high profile you can get, the the more likely someone is to sponsor you, and that's sort of an added bonus as well. Um, yeah. All you've, those bits. You've got your own sponsor, have you? Yes. Yes, I'm um, sponsored by SBK. I'm gonna. Pop, pop, pop it. Yeah, no, <laughs> pop go it on. In there, go on. Push it. Yeah, um, yeah. Which is, um, yeah, it's a, it's a betting app, which is, um, it's a sports book market app, with, um, run by Smarkets. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it basically runs like Betfair, basically. So it's sort of an actual exchange. Yeah. Um, for people to to bet on. So they they sponsor me, and if everyone could check that out, that would uh. That yeah. would keep them happy yeah yeah absolutely that's fair enough so um let's talk about the horses now that you've you've ridden you know to to, are there any particular ones that jump out at you as as think that one that was a great horse and you know i had a great victory on that one or what yeah as you say there's so there are so many that you build up a relationship over the years aren't aren't there Mm. and i've got i've got one well, one sat in the field at my parents and my partner's parents and called uh, well, our three sons who was at Jamie's at just the right point for me that I rode four winners on or something and he was a great little horse and then there was Monbeg Theatre at Jamie's as well who just was the perfect horse at the perfect time I suppose for me it's just when I turned professional um I won a big Cheltenham handicap on him. Still, actually, still is now. I'm sorry. I won a big Cheltenham handicap at the April meeting on him, and then he went and won the per attempt long distance final at Haydock not long after that. Mm. Um, and the, and he was just a good horse. And sometimes you just need those horses to put your name out there in big races. And just as I was turning professional, it was just the horse I needed to do that. Yeah. Um, and I think I ended up winning four races on him in the end and he, I rode him in the grade two long distance hurdle at Newbury and he just he just tried really hard and he just 
loved his racing and yeah he was he was brilliant horse for me um and then there was another one called Finnegan's Garden for Zoe Davis the late Zoe Davison he um he was a really lovely horse. I think I won six races on him in the end. And even though they were only sort of naught to hundreds, naught to one tens around the Plumpsons and Fogwells, like yeah. twin six races on a horse is just phenomenal. And he just tried every time. And yeah, he's just a great horse for everyone there. Well, a win's a win after all at the end of the day. More music now. And this one's called Riptide and it's by Vance Joy. Song 
Uninitiated there by Vance Joy. Now, for the uninitiated, you know, obviously I know the difference between a hurdle race and a, and a chase. But is there any difference in the in the way that you ride uh, for a hurdle race or a chase? I mean, they're obviously lower, aren't they, the, the, the hurdles as a rule? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think, well, not necessarily, whether it's um, the way you ride or the way you hope that the horse will react to the obstacle, is, is they're definitely different. So I suppose, you know, when you watch the athletics um, on TV and you see these hurdlers and they mm. barely break stride, do they, when they yeah. just snap up their legs and it's just an extension of their stride, isn't it? Like, mm. they, they just don't slow down. Like, that's, that's kind of the 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 ideal way with a horse that you want them to be super economical and just literally snap up their legs at the hurdle and almost barely, I suppose, like you obviously want them to jump it, but you want them to be as economical and quick and low over their obstacle as possible. Because if you sort of end up jumping them too big or, you know, making too much effort to jump, then you're just quite, you're giving away lengths over a hurdle. Yeah. Um, whereas over fences, again, if you're too big and you're too bold, then you're, you know, you're putting too much effort into it and it's going to tire the horse out, but you want them to sort of back off and actually probably measure it a bit more and, and make a bit more of a shape because if you're long and low over a fence, you're going to keep hitting them and you're going to keep, you know, mm. making mistakes and taking a breath. Like the art of jumping a fence for the horse is if you can jump it well each time and getting them into a rhythm over their fences, you know, they're always filling their lungs and they're always yeah. giving themselves a breather. Yeah. Um, so even though you're still trying to get them to jump it as quickly as possible, you just want them to be able to fill their lungs over the obstacles. So even if they're a little bit slower, as long as they're, you know, filling their lungs and that, they... It, it will be it will help them for the last latter parts of the races yeah. as well i suppose that's where you know you hear of horses having um having um wind operations they call them don't they but i mean i i, I take it that's to to enable them to be able to get that much more oxygen into their lungs yeah that's quite an interesting one because funny enough having worked flat trainers and jumps trainers flat trainers can't understand why the jumps trainers always do all these wind ops. I'm sure they're just doing it because the form tails off. And and actually, it's funny when you're on the horse and you can you can hear it. Yes, there are a lot of um, times when a horse will behave in a certain way, which you can see that it's getting stressed by something. And the, sometimes you can tell by the way a horse runs a race if it's getting to the end of the race and it's cutting out. Even if you can't hear something, it's clear that something's stopping them. Yeah. Um, and sometimes as well, if a horse is bleeding, um, as you might have heard, um, happens in races, and um, that can quite often be from a wind problem where the, basically the airways will get some sort of blockages and there are various blockages that happen and various wind ops that can tackle them. But by doing that, it then puts stress on the lungs, which then creates them to bleed, which obviously is not good because it means again, that they can't breathe even more than before um but there, there are ways to check it so you you can do what's called a scope so you basically put a, a tube down their nose um into their lungs or into their well not into their lungs but into their airways and especially there's you can get them you can exercise them with the scopes on 
Yeah. So you can see what happens. It's amazing technology, but you can see what happens inside their airways when they're in full work. Oh, right, um, yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, we're not, a lot of the time, we're not just stabbing in the dark. You can actually see whether it's a larynx that's collapsing and then you give it a hog day or the classic one is quite often a loose, soft palate where I'm not sure exactly how it works, but there's basically this flap mm. which just sort of will flap shut and naturally the horse just can't fill its lungs, as you say, and so you can just you can just laser it and it hardens up and it doesn't have so much of an issue. And there are more, obviously, that you can do that get more complicated, but that, in essence, is, is to try and help them, as you say, get more air into their lungs. Well, it sounds like you're going to be on all creatures great and small next week then, all right? <laughs> you're obviously pretty you're obviously pretty gend up on it anyway now Paige's next song is Walking on a Dream by the Empire of the Sun
Walking on a Dream there by Empire of the Sun. Now, what about injuries? Have you have you suffered many bad injuries? Because, I mean, one, one talks to jump jockeys and generally they, they get far more injuries than your flat jockeys do. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Paul Holly, actually, we mentioned earlier in the show, obviously, speaking to Holly, she had an awful fall, didn't she, where she got all her teeth kicked out, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. So when, when they have falls on the flat, they're, they're an awful lot worse, unfortunately. But... Mm. Um, I, yeah, I've had you know I've I've had a few and you know whilst whilst you nah, like I'm, I I'd like to say I, I haven't been unlucky so far touch wood because you yeah. hate saying it but I've done my ankle once I've done my collarbone twice I've had a small fracture to a vertebrae and had a couple of concussions which you know it might sound a lot but over the space of a sort of ten year career yeah. I suppose it's not, you know, touch wood. You know, it's, it is, as you say, part of the parcel, isn't it? Well, I guess it is. It's, you know, occupational hazard, as they say, isn't it? But, uh, yeah, exactly. you know, uh, it certainly wouldn't appeal to me. But uh, <laughs> but uh, I'm heavier than you anyway, and I wouldn't even get on a horse, so we won't worry about that one. But um, so so what about the future then, Holly? I mean, you know, Holly, sorry, what am I calling you Holly for? Oh, sorry, Because I, 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 well, we were just talking about it now. Paige, <laughs> sorry, sorry about that. I'll cut that out okay. in a minute. Um, but no, Paige. Paige, what, what about the future? What, 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 what do you see there? I mean, obviously, you say you've been three, three years professional. How, how long, you know, do you think you've, you've got in, in this sort of game? I mean, can you go on to your 40s and 50s or, or is that being a bit too ambitious? Oh, look, it's so, it's so hard because you never know what way the wind's blow, going to blow or what, what the world has in store for you. Do you, you know, yeah. obviously there are loads of people that would love to ride longer, but they get injuries and that, that curtails it. And, you know, I, to be honest, I think it takes a very strong, mentally very strong person to be able to do this job until they're 40. Yeah. Um, and I suppose, you know, you can't really skip around the fact that being female, it's, it's, there are other things that that happen in your life that probably mean that you're not going to be able to ride till you're 40, which, you know, obviously starting a family and stuff just isn't as straightforward for female athletes as it is male athletes, I suppose. Mm. Um, no, so it's, that, it's that easy for us. Dead easy for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, so, you know, I, d I don't know how long my career will last. I certainly... I certainly won't be riding when I'm 40, I'm sure. Um, mm. But look, you know, I just I just want to keep trying to ride as many winners as possible and being as good a jockey as I can do for as long as I can do, really. Yeah, well, that's fair enough, isn't it? But, I mean, looking at your competitors, and, I mean, you know, Rachel Blackmore is obviously one that immediately springs to mind. Um, but you, you've gone for jumping. Why, why did you go for jumping rather than, than flat like Holly Doyle did, for example? I just, I just love, I love jumps racing, and a few people ask me that actually because um, I could do if I, if I put my mind to it and I got my weight, you know, I, I'm small enough that I could get my weight down to ride on the flat quite comfortably. Yeah. Um, it's not the sort of lifestyle I'd want to live, where I'd have to constantly watch what I ate and restrict myself, my diet, and everything like that. So. Mm. Yeah, that's one reason why I don't ride on the flat. Um, but equally, I just love I love teaching young horses to jump. I love jumps horses. I love jumps racing. Um, it just I couldn't 
I can't, I, I don't have that clock in my head that enables me to really have a grasp on flat racing. I didn't grow up watching it, if you know what I mean. So, yeah. you know, for me, just being out on a jump horse where you're just bowling along, getting your horse into a lovely jumping rhythm, um, that is just what I love doing, really. Um, and I suppose, yeah, it's just it's just not the same for me on the flat. No, that's a fair comment. Right, time for Paige's last musical selection, and it's called What Do You Know? No, it's not. It's called What You Know, and it's by the Two Door Cinema Club. two-door cinema club so um we've, we've got a um a guy who i know you know very well on on the show he does a 
a series of tipping every week. I call him the cheeky chappy, but I'm talking about Colin Brown, and I know Colin's been into your life in terms of um, you know helping you with your, I presume your technique or whatever. Can you tell me more about the relationship with Colin and you know how you get on with him? Yeah, um, Colin, I have known for years anyway, just because obviously he he used to live in Lambourne, so he knew him sort round round the area for a long time. And when when you turn professional, it, you are required to get a jockey coach that, right. that you obviously pay into. And and um, Colin was Colin was my was my jockey coach. Actually, I was lucky enough to have two jockey coaches just because when I was an amateur, I was going to stay cross as well. And so I had, I had the joy of two, which was brilliant for me, actually. Double, double, um, yeah, yeah, doubly effective. But, um, Colin, Colin was my, Colin was my jockey coach when I turned professional. And, you know, obviously his, his experience on like Desi and horses like that was just, you know, great. So having someone like him, coaching me and, and going through race sitting me down and analyzing races and stuff was brilliant really yeah it was pretty good um, and would he would he when you say analyzing races would i mean would he come and watch you and then sort of say right well that's where you that was good that was bad it did it work like that yeah well i sort of we i go around to his house and we'd sit down and, and, and we pull up you know obviously we couldn't analyze every single race i'd ridden in but he'd sort of say look which race do you want to go through so we'd sit down and we'd watch the replay and yeah. he'd give me feedback basically you know what yeah. i could have done when and what i made a mistake doing here and there and and uh you know that's quite important for a young jockey to to learn that and and it's amazing nowadays that you can do that because as you you know as you say like beforehand where there were no replays and that you wouldn't have had people just going to the races and to watch you and then give you feedback like if they were there great um but accessing replays obviously you know 15 years ago wasn't half as easy was it so no, no. you know it, it must have been quite difficult for jockeys to develop but nowadays the development scheme in place for jockeys is phenomenal you know the strength and the training um strength and training and stuff and the jockey coaching and the nutrition advice and everything like that is just you know they're doing so much now for jockeys which is great you know they're real athletes now which yeah. is really good and of course you've got the injured jockeys fund uh, behind you which uh, you know i know a little bit about and you remember i asked you back along about cricket um, you know we're going to do this cricket match in the summer um but, but i mean i've done one once before but i mean the injured jockeys fund is it's a great organization isn't it and it, it must help to provide you jockeys when you do have the misfortune of getting injured that you've got a, a body that like that behind you that is there to help you oh it's absolutely phenomenal um i just i don't know how anyone coped beforehand it's funny i've i've been really spoiled as well that all of my racing career the 10 years i've been riding i've had Lambourne Oaksy House on my doorstep. Yeah. Um, which realistically, I think it only opened 13 years ago. Yeah. Um, which to envision trying to get back from an injury without them, I just can't imagine what it would have been like. Because as much as anything else, when you're injured, it's you're going from 100 miles an hour to zero. So you're sat at home and you know, you're watching the racing and it's driving you mad because you're not racing and you're missing horses you should be riding and stuff like that. And um, and then you feel sorry for yourself and you get into quite a sort of rut. But actually, when you 
can get out of the house and go to Oaksy House and you know you're it, it sounds pretty awful but a lot of the time when you're making progress it can seem like small steps but then somebody else will come in and they'll be on day dots and you'll be like actually I am so far along like I'm only I'm only a month off being back riding whereas these people have got this whole process to go through you know it's quite yeah um it's quite reassuring and it's quite sobering and you know lots of people come in with worse injuries and you, know, you can't you just realize that you you actually haven't got it as bad as what you're probably making yourself out in your head yeah my worst injury i was on, on crutches for four months which was just i just as oh, i think i was on crutches for three months or i was off racing for four months and you know it drives you mad not having your hands for three for yeah. three months but actually there were there were people coming in with worse injuries and they're like actually it's really not so bad so um, so colin i mean he's such a laugh though isn't he and he's such a, a laid-back sort of guy i mean that must help you as well and it's not all deadly serious i can imagine sessions with colin are quite amusing aren't they yeah very amusing very amusing i haven't actually yeah i see him sort of i see him around at the races nowadays i don't think he does job coaching so much anymore i think he's too busy i think he's too busy doing other things now but um yeah they were great sessions really he's a he's a really good chap colin He's, he's too busy doing radio now. I think that's probably what it is. <laughs> exactly. He's, he used to, you see him everywhere. He just sort of pops up out of yeah, yeah. nowhere, doesn't he? He's always, always doing something. And, you know, I, I first met him in 1986, would you believe, which is a long time ago. And um, when I rang him up, when I got involved with this radio station, and, you know, he remembered me, which was which was amazing, I thought, after all those years. And he was only too pleased to come on and help. So, you know, he's a, he's a smashing fella can't speak highly enough of him really but look yeah. holly uh, i've done it again what is the matter with me <laughs> Paige? i'm so sorry <laughs> Paige, um thank you very very much for coming on to the show um it's it's a you know it's a complete different sort of different insight i i feel with 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 uh, members of the opposite sex should we put it and um you know you've been very out, outgoing and 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 chatty which is what we want on the radio because obviously it's not television so you know really appreciate you coming on um wish you all the best in the future and we should be keeping an eye on you and maybe you'll come on again if we can uh, find something that's suitable for you to come on to but uh, if i don't meet you at win canton i hope i might meet you at the cricket absolutely well thank you so much for having me on it's been really enjoyable that's all right Paige. i've got it right this time <laughs> <laughs> um, oh one thing i meant to mention too um a little bird told me but when it comes to beer um your father's quite an expert in it is that right yeah, I think he does. He does know. He probably knows a fair bit about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I think we've been. Uh, well, when I was, I, I used to be involved with um, uh, Yeovil Town Football Club as the head of media there, and I used to have to go to all the games, obviously. And the times we've been past the uh, the Puller at the Fuller's Brewery up in wherever it is, is it Hammers? Chiswick. That's it. Yeah. Chiswick. Yeah. 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 So, but I, I didn't realise it was it was your family that were, were. I mean, is he still involved in it, or or is he? You know, is it moved on now? Uh, so yeah, the um, obviously, I mean, he he just worked there. He was he was um, on the PR side there um, yeah. when he was still when when it was still uh, all together. But it basically just luckily just before COVID. Not that anyone knew that COVID was coming, but it worked out quite well. The um, 
the beer side of it, so the brewery that's on the roundabout and everything got sold to Asahi. Mm. Um, so the Fullers are all still the same company, um, yeah. but the beer side got sold to Asahi, uh-huh. um, which was really sad. But in hindsight, with uh-huh. COVID, it was um, it was very much a blessing in disguise. Um, really. Yeah, I'm sure it was. But I mean, you know, these days, big business is so such that, you know, once you've got a successful business, it's always a target for a bigger business, isn't it? That's it. And, and you know, and, and and it's actually really nice because the Sahi are very good at preserving like brands and that as well. And, and um, it's it's a great company to know that the beers are, st- are going to live on. Yeah. Because obviously, you know, had, had it not worked out you know beer, the beer industry is incredibly difficult at the moment um mm. and especially in london i suppose um where everyone's decided that for some reason alcohol's the uh you know drink of the devil for yeah. some reason <laughs> you know? um it's not ideal um but you know us but yeah it's nice to know that those brands and those beers hopefully will be drunk for many many more years because uh, they're they're yeah. delicious beer and uh, i like drinking them as well so yeah well, that's okay, um, then. hopefully they keep brewing it well we've got it in our local pub down here so uh you know it's it's uh it's still going strong down there anyway very popular Good. i know i'm not a beer drinker Good. myself i tend to drink vodka more but uh you know anyway look as I say, Paige, um, thank you ever so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. I should be keeping an eye on you, as I say. And, uh, you know, I hope you have loads and loads and loads of winners. So keep it up. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Lady. This is Three Valleys Radio. The heart is a blue. And you've been listening to the In Conversation programme with A.D. Hopper. Make sure you join us every week here on Three Valleys Radio. And the reason that you had to care, the traffic...